pastors dad we try to do this at least once a month and we try to find subjects that would interest pastors so if you're listening and you're a lay person turn it off this isn't for you because we're gonna cuss and spit and say bad things about lay people actually we're not and we <laughs> welcome you to come and uh, to listen to this too when you find it of interest Sitting around the table with me is Zach Van Dyke, and he's the pastor of a church in Orlando called Summit. And um, you've had a kind of hard week. I'll tell you, you ought to get Zach to tell you about the last six funerals he's had. It'll make you feel glad you're the pastor where you are (laughs) and not the pastor at Summit. And then Jerry Perry's is here. He's the pastor of a place of grace, and it really is. Every time you go to that church, you feel free. I quoted you recently in your statement that God, you will run out of sin before God runs out of grace. Yeah. Jerry is the pastor of the Christian Family Worship Center, and and my name is Steve Brown. I was a pastor longer than most of you have been alive, and I can get to heaven on works just for having done it <laughs> and survived. And we we have on our on our phone line Jane, uh, Jamie Dunlop, and and he's written a different kind of book. It's called Budgeting for a Healthy Church, uh, aligning finances with biblical priorities for ministry. Jamie serves as associate pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., overseeing administration and adult education, as well as several nonprofits that are based in the church. And, Jamie, we appreciate very much that you'd spend this time with us. Oh, it's a delight to be be with you. Thank you so much. You know, probably the last book, if I had a list of the 50 books I wanted to read before I died, I'm not even sure a book on church budgeting would even be there. <laughs> it's, you know, it's about as church budgeting is not exactly the most exciting topic one can teach, but I've been reading your book, and this is different. And pastors ought to get this book, and they ought to read it, because it looks differently at a church budget and the priorities of a church budget. Uh, Jamie, tell us a little bit about the book and why you wrote it. Well, maybe I can begin by affirming your dislike of the topic. Uh, When I first got the manuscript put together, I wrote a, a nice little note to my wife at the beginning and uh, she asked me if I could find a more interesting topic to put that note into. <laughs> it, it came out of the book, and I say, uh, any anytime you're aligned in your preferences with my wife, you're in, you're going in a good direction. Uh, yeah, budgeting is not an interesting topic. I think uh, it's particularly not an interesting topic for pastors because we we obviously didn't get into this line of work for the money. We got into it because we care deeply about God's people, and we care about the church. We care about the glory of Christ. And uh, 
the, the reason I wrote the book is because I, I feel like too often as pastors, we significantly underestimate uh, the way that all those things I just mentioned are actually deeply related to the budget, mm. and we significantly underestimate the way the budget is useful, not primarily as a financial tool, but a pastoral tool to help our congregations love those things more. Uh, I, I, uh, I've been a pastor for 10 years before then. I was at the same church I'm at now as a, a lay member working a career in business. And uh, when I became a pastor, because I had a business background, it was fairly natural that I would oversee our church budget process. And I found a lot of books on church budgets. Uh, they were all on how to do budgeting, which honestly is not very different from any other nonprofit organization. And, and uh, I didn't find much at all about what should be in your church budget, which is a deeply spiritual topic that uh, should draw deeply from Scripture and there's just not much written on that. So I think like many church books, this one was written out of frustration uh, with what's out there. I feel like there's a wealth of wisdom in Scripture for what should be in a church's budget, and uh, those decisions actually matter significantly for what a church's philosophy of ministry is, and so this is my attempt to put all that down on paper. Now, if you, if you looked at a church budget, any church budget, you could tell a lot about that church, couldn't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if if you want to know what a church values, don't look at their website, don't look at the glossier brochure, don't don't listen to the pastor. Look at the budget, right? And Jesus said, "Where where your treasures, there your heart will be also." And that's obviously he was speaking of individuals, but it's very true of a church. Hey, um, Jamie, you you talk about right at the very beginning um, about how God has goals for the church's money, and and you. Mm. You, you used the parable that Jesus told in Matthew 25. I wondered if you could just kind of walk us through that as kind of a, a starting off point as to, uh, as to how you've approached writing about this topic. Yeah. Uh, I think very often we, we assume the goals a church has for its budget are pretty much the same as the goals any other nonprofit has for its budget, which is a need. We need to meet that need. That we require money, so we want to put money toward meeting that need. The challenge when we come to the church is that God doesn't need our money. Uh, he's got, uh, you know, cattle on a thousand hills. He, uh, he made everything. He is the owner of everything. And, and that's why I think that parable of the talents in Matthew 25 is such a really useful way to start, where uh, the, the owner goes away and trusts his property to three of his servants, you know, the parable well, uh, two of them put the money to work, uh, the third buries it, and when the master comes back, he rewards the first two servants, you know, well done, my good and faithful servant. And uh, I think the, the great shock is what happens to the third servant, that he's sent to hell, which is just astounding if you think about it. He didn't steal the master's money. Uh, he gave it back to him. So why on earth is he going to hell? And I, I think the, the, as you look in the parable, you realize the reason is because he did not have faith in the master. Right? He didn't believe the master would come home, or if he did, he didn't believe that the master would make his efforts on his behalf worth his while. He didn't find the master to be worthy, so he had the perfect all-weather investment plan. He'd stick the money away, so if the master did come back, he would have the money for the master and, 
If the master didn't ever come back, well, he'd spend his life serving for himself, uh, which means that that third servant, all of his decisions really defame the master. His words do as well. He says, uh, you're a hard man. Um, those first two servants, though, their, their actions mm. uh, proclaimed that the master was glorious, worthy of everything. They gambled absolutely everything on the promises of the master. They risked. That's wow. a part of that, isn't they it? They did. They risked everything. So I think sometimes we read that parable in a cursory way and think it basically says, look, if, if you do a lot of stuff for God, he'll really like you. And that's not at all what that parable is about. That parable is encouraging us to have faith in the Master. Bet everything on the trustworthiness of Jesus Christ. Mm. Uh, not because he needs your money, because he wants your heart. And because he wants your life to show off the glory of who he is, that's why he made you. And the reason why stewardship as individuals or stewardship as a church is such a wonderful topic is uh, because it's one of the greatest opportunities we have to show off the glory of the Master. Wow, wow. Hey, Jamie, this is uh, Jerry, and I, uh, I tell you, I don't know about these other great pastors that are sitting at the table, but whenever budget comes along, I just <laughs> just doesn't want to uh, bring that topic to the, to the front of the congregation um, because uh, over the years, um, there's always people in the congregation that don't think that the pastor deserves uh, financial pay or, uh, <laughs> you know, it's always, it's, it's always. You a, only have to work a couple hours on Sunday, right. Jay. What's the problem, <laughs> man? Go get a real job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so, but in reading the book, I, when we approach this from a biblical uh, reference and a biblical point, uh, tell pastors how we could teach our congregations to look at budgeting from the spiritual point of view. Uh, to help us with these conversations during those moments. Mm, mm-hmm. And how to deal with church treasurers who never buy into this. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I mean, one reason I wrote the book is so you can sit down with your church treasurer, read through it, and hopefully have some good conversations. Yeah. Uh, to, to try to help him uh, or her understand what's at stake, right? The, this is not fundamentally an administrative issue that we're dealing with. This is a spiritual issue we're dealing with. Um, I do think the budget is a great opportunity to teach your, your people what a church is, uh, mm-hmm. what a church is about, uh, what a church should be doing. That's all, that's all in the budget. And so I'd encourage a pastor, never talk about the budget without uh, teaching your congregation the values that underlie the budget, that, that undergird the budget. Yeah. Um, you know, one example is one you just mentioned, which is how much you would pay our pastors. Uh, Frankly, some pastors aren't worth more than, you know, two hours a week. I, one reason I got into ministry was I, I met a pastor who bragged to me that he was in the best line of work in the world because he, he worked a half hour a week preparing a sermon, a half hour a week delivering a sermon. He didn't even go to the whole service on Sundays. He popped in halfway through, and he uh-huh. spent the other 39 hours a week fishing. And I just thought, oh my goodness. Jesus is worth better than that. Yeah. Uh, but for those pastors who are working, Scripture is very clear. There's, there's not a single reference in the New Testament to pay for pastors that doesn't emphasize generosity. Uh, mm-hmm. Timothy, Titus, First uh, Corinthians. Uh, it's it just one of many examples of where the decisions you make as you put together the budget are either going to teach your people 
the priorities we see in Scripture or are going to mislead your people about the priorities we see in Scripture. By the way, just some advice from the old guy. If you're going to preach on budget, don't put budget in the title. Uh, call it <laughs> call it sex, money, and power or something. <laughs> and <then> you... <laughs> Amen. Hey, listen, talk about debt. You know, I see so many churches that are that are bound up and paying off. And I don't want to do this in a pejorative way because I've been there myself. But, you know, you build a new building, you create an empire, and then you got all this debt. And everything is sucked into that black hole. And nothing is done uh, to, um, to meet some of the kinds of things you're talking about in the book. Talk to us about that. That's yeah, a challenging topic, especially, uh, you know, for in so many places, I think in my own neighborhood, where costs go up and up and up, and uh, it's it's not a simple thing to have a place to meet. Um, maybe yeah. I'd, I'd say a few things about debt. First of all, I want to talk up the value of buildings. You know, if, if you think about all the things in your church budget, one of the most essential is to have a place to meet. It doesn't mean you need to own yeah. that building, but it yeah. certainly helps. Uh, I think about my own situation. Uh, I have a congregation that, you know, in 1911 built us a, a beautiful building in the center of Washington, D.C., just behind the Supreme Court, had it paid off by 1913. And uh, I, I can't tell you how much ministry has happened because of our location and because they, they sacrificed back then to, to give us this facility. Um, and uh, there is so much good that comes from having a presence in a neighborhood uh, being able to have your own place to meet. And in Scripture, it seems that the priorities for a church are to have a teacher, First Timothy 5, and to have a place to meet uh, where, you can, where you can accommodate the whole congregation. So to whatever extent debt is used for that, it seems to often be a very good use of debt. Yeah. At the same time, there's a few problems with debt. One is uh, whenever we enter into debt, we need to... Remember the warnings in the Proverbs uh, that the, the debtor is slave to the lender, and we need to be able to unwind those obligations if circumstances don't turn out as we hoped. Otherwise, I think we find ourselves presuming on the sovereignty of God. And so when you take on debt as a church, you, you need to do so wisely, recognizing that you may not grow as fast as you would hope to, uh, and you do so recognizing that you're setting an example for your congregation. Uh, if you view debt as an easy savior, you're teaching the congregation to do the same thing, and that will do them a world of harm. And so uh, my church has at times taken out debt. Uh, because of the sacrifice of those saints 100 years ago, we've never had to do that on the church building since 1913. We've only done it on residential properties that we could sell off if we needed mm-hmm. to. If things didn't turn out the way that we hoped... That's a luxury we have. Not every church has that. I think that can be, uh, can be a sound decision. But uh, we need to be very careful. What example are we setting for our people? Where do they struggle in particular? And is debt the best way to serve them in the ministry that we have? You know, I, um, I, I want to uh, correct something. If you thought I was thinking that a church building was not important, the denomination of which I'm a part um, had done a study on those churches that were meeting in schools or um, other places other than their own building. 
And they saw, at least in the American context, that growth uh, absolutely was stunted uh, if there wasn't a place. And the Bible has a lot to say about a place, mm. uh, a place that's sacred. And so, but I was thinking more about the kind of debt. Uh, there's a church with which I'm familiar that uh, that ended up being in debt $37 million. Oh. And they acquired the debt when the economy was good and felt like they would be able to handle it quickly. In the middle of their building program, the economy went south and they're stuck with stuff they can't even pay. They, they can't even afford postage stamps. And that's been, and I don't think that, they, that anybody could have known what was going to happen. And so I'm not throwing rocks, but I am suggesting that you got to, you know, if you're not backed up the way your church in Washington is, you got to think how much of this debt is going to take out of our missions program or our, uh, or our reaching out to the poor in our neighborhood or the kinds of programs that will be under our roof. Can we afford both? And then you have to be in prayer and wise about that. That was a long correction. It's very important uh, to me what people think of me. So. Well, and you know, some <laughs> some churches undervalue a place to meet, but a lot of churches overvalue it. And yeah. if you look at where they spend their money, they're essentially building a, a you know a twenty first century theme park, trying to attract people in. And in in scripture, it's it's not. The amazing programs and buildings that are attractive, it's, it's the new life within which is attractive. And uh, to whatever extent we use our building to attract people as consumers, we're going to have to keep treating them as consumers, and that's, that's quite 180 degrees contrary to how, yeah. how we should be treating them as Christians. Hey, Jamie, I'd be interested in hearing you kind of talk about, as you were working through this book and as you were you know, pouring over scripture and, and how to shape the thinking of this, um, when it comes to, you know, making your budget for the year, um, and, and being faithful to, to utilize that budget, um, well, be good stewards. How do you, how do you recommend a church go about, uh, coming up with the amount of income that they, that they should get in? That's a much more fraught question than most people would realize. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can remember, you know, conversations we've had in our church budget meetings where, you know, someone says, well, you know, look, I, I know we expect a million dollars out of these people, but we're people of faith. We should, we should budget big because we serve a big God. Mm-hmm. That's a very dangerous path to go down because, uh, you know, faith, of course, unlike what you hear from the prosperity gospel teachers, it's not faith in whatever I believe. It's faith in the promises of God. And God has promised many glorious things, but nowhere he's promised us a million and a half dollar budget. <laughs> uh, and so I think I, I need to have a correct definition of faith as I think about what does it really mean to be a person of faith as we produce the the top line of the budget. So when, when we do it here, we start with just our kind of actuarial model of how much do we think people are going to give the coming year. We look at any unique opportunities that we think would induce us to ask them to give beyond that current course of speed or any reasons why we think we should probably ask for less. And we really try to make that decision a pastoral decision, not a financial decision. 
uh, where we're trying to, to kind of be prepared for what we think would be the right amount for our congregation to give. And, you know, sometimes we budget too much, and we just need to tell the congregation, look, that doesn't mean that God has failed, because he never promised this. This isn't revealed from heaven. It just means that, you know, he gave us what was perfect as a church, and we overestimate it. And we'll, we'll correct for that. That's fine. Wow. Uh, I've been on that roller coaster a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Jamie, here's a uh, question that you talk about in Chapter 5 of your book. Um, and what I've had to do as a pastor is that when we've budgeted for something and then we have to turn around and, um, you know, remove that budget, but it affect uh, people's lives who are part of the church that you're trying to minister to. Um, now they're out of a job and, and mm. it's, <laughs> it's a tough thing. Cause I mean, I've held on to people longer probably than I should just to minister to them financially and their families. Um, yeah. How do you how do you back out of that spiritually, uh, where putting a family in jeopardy? Yeah. Well, I think it's important uh, as a church to separate employment from benevolence, and sometimes we conflate the two. When we do so, I think we can um, mislead both our staff and our congregations. Uh, so. When it makes sense for a staff member to depart, either because uh, their skills don't seem to be a good fit with what we need or we don't need their skills anymore, uh, you know, I, I think a, a church should generally provide some, you know, severance, as you would see in, in you know, anywhere else in our economy. There are times when, out of generosity, a church may decide to do more than what is customary, but I think you really need to see that not as we're going to keep you on staff doing work that isn't necessarily yeah. needed, but we'll just we'll call it benevolence, and we'll, we'll, we'll give that to money, money to you as a gift from the church, just like we would any other member. Uh, but when, when we have a staff position, which really exists because the person needs a job, I don't think we serve them very well at all. Do you think that we are not very honest um, up front with our congregations about not just our needs, but the places where we made mistakes, uh, where we dreamed too big or where we dreamed too little? Do you think this process ought to be a process only conducted by leaders uh, and pontificated from Sinai, or should it be community process where people are aware of what's going on? Well, uh, you gave a pre very prejudiced question. <laughs> I did. <laughs> yes. I would rephrase I agree with it, you. but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it's important to recognize that because a budget is such a spiritually fraught document, there are so many questions in it that require great spiritual discernment. You know, do you keep this missionary on or do you bring him home? Do you spend more on the building or do you spend more on you know, church planting? Uh, how much is generous and how much is luxurious in terms of staff? Those are all questions that require great spiritual discernment, and the, the people best equipped to answer those questions are the spiritual leaders that God has given to you. Mm -hmm. Ephesians chapter 4, he's given us ministers of God's Word. First Timothy 3, they... 
They meet some basic qualifications. Those are the elders, the pastors of your church. And so I do think it's appropriate for a budget because it's such a, it's in that category of uh, really important but really not clear in Scripture. Mm-hmm. It requires a lot of spiritual discernment. I think it's important that there be strong leadership exercise. We don't simply throw it to the congregation to have them put together whatever they think is, is best. I agree. But uh, should we they need know? strong leadership. Should they but know? they should know what's in it. So when I give my church our budget every year, it's a 28-page document. I want them to see every nook and cranny uh, for, for transparency's sake, for accountability's sake, and because those are great teaching opportunities. I want them to see why we're spending money on X, Y, and Z. Um, and as a congregation, we vote on the budget. Uh, we vote on the budget because, well, the congregation is, I want them to feel ownership of it. We vote on the budget because I think a budget can destroy a church if it's done poorly, uh, either because it's funding things that are anti-gospel or because it's so financially precarious that it could destroy that church's ability to continue to preserve the gospel. Um, and I report on the budget to our church every member's meeting, so six times a year. Uh, and those are good, good conversations versus the church. I think the more people realize that a, a budget is a spiritual document, the more interested they get in it. Jamie, uh, we're about ready to land this plane, and I appreciate your spending time from a busy schedule to be with us. And let me tell people, you get a hold of this book. It's not what you think. It'll really speak to where you're living. Jamie Dunlop, D-U-N-L-O-P, and it's called Budgeting for a Healthy Church. Aligning Finances with Biblical Priorities for Ministries, published by Zonderman. And you'll thank me for having recommended it to you. One more question, Jamie, before we leave. Uh, and I'd like your comment on it. Would You know, we do, and it plays off the last question about we do so many things in secret, and I suspect we ought to if we're doing church discipline and if we're dealing with secrets that people have, I agree with that. But do you think that taking our budget and making it public to the world is a form of witness that we make? That's a good question. Uh, My guess is most people will not take the time to review a church budget for that witness to come out. Uh, but I think our members talking about our church budget, you yeah. know, when the conversation yeah. comes up, is a wonderful opportunity for witness. I, I should we just had that earlier today. I was had an engineer here uh, looking at some work that we're doing to try to increase our ability to train pastoral candidates and. She was just curious, why, why do you spend time doing that? Why do you spend money doing that? And so, you know, I, I was able to talk about how a significant portion of our focus is not the benefit of this congregation, but serving other people all over the world. And that's, I think the budget's a great opportunity because, because it captures your values as a church. Mm, yeah. Those values should look remarkably different from what the world values. It's a great opportunity to explain how we're different. And we care about different things because, at the end of the day, we're serving a different master. Yeah, we at, at our church at the beginning of the year we always uh, 
we do a budget talk, and we, we have a sermon too, and we do a budget talk within the context of the service. Those poor people, it's a lot, it's a lot of talking. Um, but what I find fascinating about it is um, we always say, you know, uh, if, if you want a full copy of every detail in the budget, you know, you can shoot us an email and we'll send it to you. Um, and you don't have to, you don't have to be a member here at this church, even if you're a guest today, because you always feel bad for the the person who comes and brings a guest on the day you talk about budget at your church. Right. But I found that almost uh, every time we've done that, someone who was a guest of our church or a skeptic about Christianity, they're the ones who want to follow up. And, and that actually does make a difference to them because they're Pre- preconceived notions about church often have to do with the church isn't good about handling money or they're manipulative with money or, you know, you know, and so well, the church is only about my money or, or only about my money. About. Right. And yeah. so, it, so it's been an interesting uh, thing to see that actually can sometimes start the conversation about why, why church is even important um, for someone who, uh, who's kind of just trying to figure stuff out. Good stuff. Jamie. You're great. Thanks for being with us. Oh, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much. Now, Jamie, before you uh, hang up, if there's anything you want to add. You know, maybe, maybe one last thing that I think is important is uh, what kind of related to what we were just talking about. I think it's so important. You know, like in Philippians chapter 4, when Paul says that he, you know, he's not asking because he's in need, but he's eager for what, uh, what will credit to the Philippians' account. It is one of the most uh, precious commodities we trade in as pastors is the trust our members have that whenever we talk to them about money, it's because we care about them, not about our grand empire building scheme yeah. that we have. And uh, you can talk about a budget that really makes feeds into the lie, or maybe it's not so much of a lie in some of our cases, that we just want more money. Or you can talk about a budget in a way that makes it quite clear I don't really care how much we bring in. What I care deeply about is that conversation you will have someday with Jesus. Mm. Uh, And my hope is that we've put together a budget so that on that last day, when you stand before him to give account for everything he's entrusted to you, you will be so glad for every dollar you invested in the church budget. Mm. Um, And so from how we size a reserve fund to the flux we build into our budget, uh, there's all kinds of things that we've done here just to try to make sure that every time I get in front of the congregation and talk about money is to the best of my ability, they believe that I'm doing it because I love them and not because I love their money. Just like Jesus talked about money so much. Why? Because he wanted a handout? No, because he wanted our hearts. Uh, and, and we should be the same. Oh, so good. And a good way to land the plane. Jamie, thank you. God bless you, brother. Well, thank you, brothers. I appreciate it very much. Bye-bye. Okay, take care. Take care.